that you get off. All right, so listen, we come to an interesting topic today. We're, we're in the last two sermons in the book of First Peter, which I personally have really loved. Um, and Peter is talking about a fascinating subject, and that is the subject of Satan today. It's interesting because we're kind of a tribe of people that doesn't talk about Satan a lot. We're not a charismatic church, if you will. And so uh, if you go to a more charismatic church, they talk about Satan a ton. We, uh, that's not really our tribe. And so Satan is probably something that you don't think about a lot. He's probably not something that you spend a lot of time thinking about how to uh, fight against. And so hopefully today you'll realize that Satan is a very real enemy who's coming after you. We're about to learn and we'll learn how to defend against those attacks. And so let's pick up where we left off last week. First Peter 5, 7 Peter says, cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. And Halim last week talked about how worry and anxiety should never be the response of a believer because we have a God that cares for us. But in the the very next statement that he makes, he says something interesting. He says in verse 8, after he says, don't be anxious, don't worry, God cares for you, he says, but be sober in spirit. Be sober in spirit and be on alert Be on alert. He gives us calming verse. Hey, don't worry. Don't be anxious. God's got your back. God's in control. God cares for you, but you need to be on alert. Okay, why? Why do we need to be on alert? He continues, verse eight. He says, be sober of spirit, be on alert, because your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Peter says, you don't need to worry. You don't need to be anxious but you need to be on alert. And here's why, because you have an enemy, his name is Satan, and he wants to devour you. He wants to devour you. And so we're gonna talk a little bit about what Satan is and and walk through that verse, because it actually teaches us a lot. But there's one thing, or not one thing, there's a couple things I wanna talk about Satan before we jump directly into the text, and here's this. Here's the thing you know about Satan. Number one is that he's real, okay? He is very real. Number two, He's not God's equal. I think movies a lot of times kind of portray God and Satan as these co-equal parts that are you know, good and bad, warring against one another, but um, God is eternal, Satan is not. He's a created being, um, and he is a fallen angel. He's more along the lines of like Michael, the archangel, or Gabriel. And he rebelled against God. He took a third of the angels with him. Those are his demons. Demons are actually fallen angels, and God kicks them out of, of heaven, he sends them to earth, they're on the earth, roaming about, Job talks about Satan is in one place one time, roaming about with his demons and his fallen angels. Jesus actually called uh, Satan the ruler of this world, he's been given dominion over this earth until he was ultimately destroyed at the cross and the resurrection, we'll talk about that, and then he'll ultimately be destroyed and when Christ comes back, and then Christ puts him into the lake of fire forever. And so what Peter's doing in this verse is he's talking about what Satan is trying to do in the meantime. What Satan's trying to do in the meantime, he knows his time is limited. He knows that um, he's ultimately been defeated at the cross and the resurrection, and his defeat is going to be final at the return of Christ. And so what is he doing in the meantime? Satan, or rather Peter, is teaching us three things about Satan today. Here's the first one is who is Satan to us? What, what is Satan to you and to me? Why should we be worried about him? The second thing we're gonna learn is how Satan attacks you. 
We're going to learn specifically some of the ways that Satan comes and his demons come after you in your life. And then lastly, we're going to learn how to fight back. We're going to learn how to fight back against the attacks of our very real enemies. So let's look at 1 Peter 5, 8. And let's look at what Peter says about who is Satan to you and me. Why does he matter to you and me? Let me read it again. He says, be of sober spirit, be on alert, because your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion. Now, there's two key words that we need to look at to understand who is this Satan guy and what does he mean to us, and it's the words, your adversary, your adversary. Okay, look first at the word adversary there. That's a word in the Greek that means enemy. It means enemy. But it's a strong word in the Greek. It's a really aggressive uh, form of the word enemy where Peter is specifically indicating kind of this level of animosity that this enemy has towards us. Give you an example. Um, Got any University of Texas football fans in here? Just a little shout out, a couple of you. So if you're thinking about the University of Oklahoma, right? If you're thinking about Oklahoma, you could say that they are your enemy. You could conceivably say that. But what that really means is that they're your rival. Okay, you, you don't really like them that much, and you hope that you beat them on the football field. But you could technically say that you're their enemy, but it means rival. On the other hand, if you're like an American soldier um, on the front lines of World War II, and you call the, the German soldier on the other side of the trench your enemy, that it carries with it an altogether different meaning. It carries with it an altogether different level of intensity because one kind of enemy is trying to score more touchdowns than you on a football field, and another kind of enemy is trying to utterly destroy you. And that's the context that Peter uses when he says, your adversary. He's trying to paint this picture um, that we have an enemy that is literally trying to devour us, which means to consume completely, spiritually, and physically. All right, now there's another word that he uses that is key for us understanding who Satan is to us. Read it again. He says, 1 Peter 5, 8, be sober of spirit, be on alert, because your adversary, look at the word your, it's a personal pronoun. And Peter uses the personal pronoun, again, intentionally. He does it for this. Listen carefully. He's trying to convey to you and to me that Satan is not just God's enemy, He's trying to convey to you and to me that Satan is not just Christ's enemy. That Satan is not just the enemy of the angels, but he uses the personal pronoun there to show that Satan is your enemy. He's coming after you. He's coming after you. Now, don't turn there, but listen to this. Revelation 12, 13 talks about this. This is John speaking. He's talking about Satan. He calls him the dragon. Listen to this. He says, and when the dragon saw that he was thrown down to earth, he persecuted the woman who gave birth to the male child. And so when Satan was thrown down to earth, he said he persecuted the woman that gave birth to the male child. There's some theological debate about who the woman is. It's either Mary or it's Israel. But the point that is being tried to make here is that when, when Jesus Christ was born, Satan came after him. Satan knew that Jesus was the Messiah. He was told in Genesis 3, there's going to be a child that's born, that's going to be born of a virgin, and he's going to crush your head. And so Satan is on the lookout for this Messiah child born of the virgin. And so when Jesus comes on the scene, Satan does everything he can to try to take Jesus out. He either tries to kill him, and you see that multiple times through Herod killing the children, that sort of thing, or he tries to get him to sin. 
Because Satan knows if he can get Jesus to sin, then he will no longer be our perfect substitute to walk to the cross and offer a perfect substitute for our sin. But none of that works. Jesus lives a perfect life. He lives a sinless life. He goes to the cross. He sheds his blood, pays for our sin, rises from the grave, conquers death, and Satan knows in that moment that ultimately the war against God has been lost. But what's he doing until the second coming of Christ? Revelation 12, 17 tells us, very specifically in verse 17, it says, so the dragon, because he's lost the war, right? The dragon was enraged with the woman and went off to make war with the rest of her children who keep the commandments of God and hold fast to the testimony of Jesus. Okay, so he knows he lost the war, so now what's he doing? It says that he, um, he was enraged at the woman and he went off to make war with the other children of this woman who hold fast to the testimony of Jesus Christ. Church, who are the children that have come after Christ that hold fast to his testimony? That's us, that's right, thank you. That's you and me. And there's a couple of things that that verse just said about us. It says that Satan hates you. He was enraged. When he lost the battle at the cross, he was enraged. And so now he's like, I know I have a limited time. And so what I'm going to do is I am going to make war on the people who hold fast to the testimony of Jesus Christ. And so if you're here today and you're like, yeah, that's me. I'm holding fast to the testimony of Christ. I want you to understand something. You have a very real enemy that has declared war on you. You're in a war. You may not think about it that way, but he's at war with you. And that's why when Peter's describing, okay, here's who Satan is. He's your enemy. He goes on. And he's going to talk about, okay, how does our enemy who hates us and has declared war on us, how's he going to attack us? He says in 1 Peter 5, 8. He says, be of sober spirit and be on alert because your adversary, your enemy, the devil, he prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. And so Peter says, here's what he's doing. Here's how he's operating. He wants to devour you. He's trying to take you out. He's at war with you. And so he's roaming around like a roaring lion. Now pay attention to that word roaring. I know you've heard that verse a ton. You probably glaze over when you hear it. But pay attention to the word roaring because it's, it's critical. And I learned something this week about this verse that I never understood or never knew. And I learned it from uh, Ross Lester. Ross Lester is our new West Campus pastor, campus pastor. And we hired him from a church in South Africa. He's the lead pastor of this huge church in South Africa. And he's got this killer accent. You'll get to hear him preach. He's super smart. You'll love him anyway. But uh, he, kind of in his spare time, he was a park ranger at this huge um, land preserve in Africa, and he would take people on safaris. And so he's got a lot of interaction. He's had a lot of interaction with lions. And here's what he told me. He said, what's interesting about this verse, Matt, is he said that one of the things you know about lions is that female lions do most of the hunting. And when they are hunting, they're silent. They don't make any noise. They just kind of creep up on you and they pounce on you and you're getting munched before you even know you're getting munched. They're silent. He said, the men, the, 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 the lions, they're kind of lazy. They make the women do most of the hunting. Um, and so they kind of sit back. But what they'll do is the male lions, they'll get up on top of the hill before the women go out and hunt, and they will roar. And he said, the roar is incredibly loud. He said, you literally can hear it from miles away. 
And what the male lion is doing is he's kind of announcing his presence. He's, he wants everybody in, 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 the, in the whole African whatever. He's like, he gets up on a hill. He roars really loud. He's like, hey, everybody, Mustafa is here. I'm about to take all y'all out. That's what he's doing. And so here's the thing I want you to understand. I never thought about it until this week. Listen to this verse one more time. Be of sober spirit. Be on alert. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. And so here's, what, here's the point I think Peter's making. Hear this. That in the same way that like a herd of elephants in Africa needs to be on alert. They don't need to just be cruising around, eating leaves and stuff. They need to be on alert so that if they hear the roar of the lion, they can get in a defensive position and be ready to fight back. Then in the same way that that's how like a herd of elephants needs to be, that you and I too need to be on alert. So he's saying, don't, don't be lulled to sleep in your life. You have it to me. Be on alert. If you hear his roar, if you hear his roar, you know he's around. And you know to, to get in that defensive position and be ready to fight. Now, I want you to hear this. If you don't hear anything I say, I want you to catch this right here. Knowing that you have an enemy. Okay, well, again, we're in a tribe that doesn't talk about him much. We don't think about him much. But we just learned in the word of God, we have an enemy that has declared war on us. And he wants to take us out. Knowing that, one of the best things you could ever do as a Christian, one of the best things you could ever do as a Christian is learn to recognize the roar of your enemy. Learn to recognize the roar of your enemy. Because if you can learn to recognize his roar, you'll know, okay, that's, that's an attack of Satan and you know how to defend against it, which I'll show you here in a minute. And here's the good news is that Satan has some really distinctive roars. Some really distinctive roars. And what I mean by that is, is this. Jesus gave Satan all these different names, and all the different names of Satan come from different aspects of his character. And so whenever Satan or one of his, one of his minions, if he's going to attack you, it always comes from something about his character, which Jesus defined in a name. So let me give you an example. Jesus called Satan the father of lies, the father of lies. In John 8, 44, Jesus is speaking. He says, you are of your father, the devil, and you want to do the desires of your father. And then Jesus starts to describe Satan and his character and what he, how he acts out of his character. He says, he was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. And whenever he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own nature, for he is a liar and is the father of lies. Okay, church, listen. One of the distinctive roars of Satan that you can hear and go, that's Satan, are lies. And typically... When he's lying, he typically lies about the word of God. That's what he typically lies about, okay? And so I wanna take you real quickly to uh, Genesis 3. I want you to watch Satan's interaction with Adam and Eve, and I want you to see how he used lies to trip him up, all right? Genesis 3.1. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, did God actually say you shall not eat of any, true, uh, any tree in the garden. And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree in the middle of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. And then Satan said to the woman, 
you will not surely die. Okay, you see what he's doing there? It's very, very obvious when you know the distinctive roar. Here's what he's doing. He does two things. Number one is he immediately begins to get Adam and Eve to question what God said. He gets them to question God's word. He's like, hey, did God actually say you can't eat of any fruit of the garden? And then Eve says, yeah, as a matter of fact, that's exactly what God said. God said we can have everything except that one tree. And if we did that one tree, God said we're going to die. And then when, when he realizes that she's quoting the word of God there, what Satan does is he just outright lies to her. He says, hey, I know God said that you're going to die, but you're not really going to die. Absolutely lies. Church, Satan has a distinctive roar. He lies about the word of God. You need to learn to recognize it, okay? Here's how you recognize it. If you ever hear either an external voice or an internal voice that is calling into question something that God has clearly said, you can almost guarantee that's an attack of the enemy. You ever hear some external voice, some person, or some internal voice that's calling in a question, something God has clearly said, listen carefully, you will hear the roar of the enemy. Couple of examples. A few years ago, there was a pastor, a real famous guy. He came out publicly, wrote a book about it, and the thesis of his book was that hell is not real. That hell is not real. And he said things like, hey, it's not really what Jesus is saying. That's not really what the Bible is teaching. And you, you hear that and you think, that's kind of cool. That would be kind of cool if hell is not real. Because then I could do whatever I wanted to do, live any way I want to live. All my unbelieving friends and family, they're not going to hell. That'd be awesome. And by the way, when God lies, or rather when Satan lies about God's word, it always sounds pleasing to our flesh. So he lies about that. He was saying things like, this pastor was saying things like, hey, the concept of hell is not really what Jesus was teaching. He said things like, hey, if a person doesn't repent of their sins and trust in Christ for their salvation, would God really send them to eternal punishment? And guys, does that sound familiar when you look at it in terms of Genesis 3? If you listen closely to that, you can hear the roar of the enemy. Here's why. Because Jesus clearly taught the concept of hell. He clearly taught it. The reason, church, the reason Jesus had to die on a cross was because he had to pay the eternal penalty so that we would not receive an eternal punishment. If there is no eternal punishment for sin, why in the world did Jesus have to die on a cross? If, if there is no eternal punishment for sin, then God is a child abuser for sending Jesus to the cross. The reason Jesus had to go to the cross is because there is a hell. And so whenever you hear some teacher come along and some preacher, some person, and they've got some fresh new word and it's pleasing to the flesh and it contradicts 2,000 years of understanding of what God has said, you need to automatically listen very carefully because that is not a fresh new word. That is not a fresh new word. That is a word that is old and stale as the lie of Satan when he whispered in the, in the ear of Adam and Eve, hey, did God really say 
It's old, it's stale, it's a roar of the enemy. Learn to recognize it. Here's another distinctive roar of the enemy. Accusation. He loves to accuse Christians. He loves to call into question their standing with God. Let me read this to you, Revelation 12, 9. It says, and the great dragon was thrown down, the ancient serpent who was called the devil and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world. He was thrown down to earth and his angels were thrown down with him. And I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of Christ have come. Watch, for the accuser of our brothers, that's Satan, for the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down who accuses them day and night before our God. One of, the, one of the distinctive roars of Satan that we need to learn to listen for and know it's him is when we are accused in our minds and our hearts and our spirit, spirit, when we're reminded of our sin and, and because of that sin we're reminded of, it causes us to call into question our walk with Jesus. Have you ever had something like this happen? Like you're a believer, you know you've trusted in Christ as your Lord and Savior, but you've sinned, you've messed up, you've done something. Or you have something in your life that's not right. Something in your walk with Christ that's not right. And you come into church and you begin to worship and you start to sing, but there's a little voice in your heart or there's a little voice in your head that keeps saying, oh, you wanna worship God? You're not worthy to worship God. You're not worthy to be in here. God does not want to hear your worship because of what you've done. Okay, church, that's the roar of the enemy. He's accusing you. Christ never accuses us. He is our advocate before the Lord. If you feel or hear an accusation because of your sin, that's probably the enemy crying out in your life. Here's another one. You feel like a call of God on your life to do something. You sense that you desire to serve God in some area, whether it's maybe lead a small group Bible study or give your testimony or share your, your, your faith with a friend or a coworker or teach the Bible to your children or maybe become a pastor or maybe go into the mission field and bring his name into an unreached people group. Or maybe you just are at a place where you wanna surrender your life completely to God. But every time you're like this close to doing that, and letting God have all of your life and surrendering to that call, you hear the voice of the accuser. And says, oh, you wanna do something great for God? Have you forgotten what you're really like? Have you forgotten what you did? You are not qualified, you're not good enough, you're not godly enough, God does not love you enough. That's what Satan loves to do, he is our accuser, church. Whenever you hear that voice, you are not worthy to serve God. You're not worthy to worship God. You're not worthy to belong to God. You're not worthy to be loved by God because of X, Y, or Z. It's always Satan. It's always Satan. Learn to recognize that. Then you'll know how to fight against it. A couple things I don't have time to get into today real quick. Jesus called him the tempter. Satan will bring temptation into your life. Again, we're part of this kind of tribe that has a tendency to not view our temptations from Satan. The scripture's also clear, it does come from our, our flesh. You gotta, make, you gotta understand something. Satan brings temptation into your life. You need to learn to recognize that so you'll know you're fighting against Satan. He's also called ruler of this age. 
I probably, this morning, I realize I probably should have spent more time on this. We're just running out of time. But it means this. He attacks us through the pleasures of this culture. He attacks us through the pleasures of this culture. Previous generations of pastors abused this. And they talked about how all music was evil, all dancing was evil, you know, leave space for the Holy Spirit between you and the girl you're dancing with. You know what I'm talking about? And so we dismissed all of that, but he's called the ruler of this age because that's kind of what he does. He uses the pleasures of the culture to lull us asleep and make us ineffective for the kingdom of God. Think about alcohol. Think about Netflix. Think about Facebook, whatever. Uses these things to make us ineffective for the kingdom of God. He's a liar, he's an accuser, he's a tempter, he's a ruler of the age. Learn to recognize that roar. Last thing Peter does in regards to Satan is he teaches us how to fight back. How to fight back. He says in verse eight, be of sober spirit, be on alert. Your adversary, the devil, he prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. In verse nine he says, but resist him, but resist him. Just talk about that for just a second. When he says, okay, you have an enemy, He's roaring around. He wants to take you out. Here's what you need to do. Resist him. Here's what that means, church. It means you fight back. I just, it, it hit me, like, I spend no time in my life thinking about fighting against the attacks of Satan. I just don't do it. But the word of God says we need to be on alert and be ready to do that. And so I think that begs the question, okay, We've got an enemy, he wants to kill us, wants to destroy us, we're supposed to be fighting back. How do we fight back? He says it in the next phrase, look at verse nine. He says, but resist him firm in your faith. Firm in your faith. If you want it, listen, if you wanna know how to fight back against those roars and attacks of Satan, Peter says you do it with faith. Faith is the one thing that Satan is powerless against. He's a powerful angel. Think Michael, he is powerless when real faith shows up in your life. Okay, now what does that mean? What is real faith? How do I resist him with faith? Well, faith is this, don't miss this. Faith is when God says something, you believe it and you act on it. That's all faith is. When God says something, you believe it and then you act on it. Roman centurion comes up to to Jesus and he says, hey, uh, I have a servant that's dying, can you heal my servant? And Jesus said, yeah, take me to where the servant is and I will heal him. And the Roman centurion said this. He said, you don't have to go where my servant is. He said, all you gotta do, Jesus, is just say the word and I know he'll be healed. And and they were walking along when this happened. Jesus was kind of cruising down the road. This Roman centurion comes up. When he made that statement, Jesus, you don't have to go to where I'm at. All you have to do is say the word, and I know he'd be healed. Jesus stops and turns around and looks at the guy, and he gets everybody's attention in the crowd, and he goes, hey, did you guys just hear what he just said? The scripture said that he marveled when that Roman centurion said that, and Jesus said, I have not seen faith like that in all of Israel. What happened that Jesus stops in his tracks and his jaw drops and he marvels? All in the world that happened is the guy looked at him and said, hey, Jesus, if you say it, I believe it. It's called faith. Listen to this, Ephesians 6, 16. Paul's talking about the armor of God 
that we fight against Satan with. Watch what he says. He says, in addition to all, taking up the shield of, say it, faith. Take up the shield of faith. What does the shield of faith do? With the shield of faith, which you will be able to extinguish all of the flaming arrows of the evil one. So you got this enemy, he's chunking flaming arrows at you. Temptations, accusations, lies. He's trying to take you out. He's trying to devour you. And the way that you dis- extinguish those arrows is you hold up faith. Belief not in what he says, but belief in what God says. And then he goes on there, and this is really cool. In verse 17, or read verse 16 again. He says, addition to all, take up the shield of faith, with which you'll be able to extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one, put on the helmet of salvation, and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. So Satan, or not Satan, but God gives you a shield against Satan, and he also gives you an offensive weapon. Gives you a sword, which is, the scripture says, the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Of God. Okay, so we're fighting Satan. We're called to resist him. We're called to fight him. We know he's coming after us. Here's what this is going to look like. Give you one example. Let's talk to uh, folks that are probably going to be married or are married or one day will be. All right, here's the thing. Let's say you get married and you're in year one or two of your marriage and things start getting really difficult. It's really hard. And you're not happy. Things aren't working out like you thought they would. And, but there's no really biblical grounds for divorce. There's no adultery, there's no abusing like that. You're just not happy, it's not working out. And somebody walks up to you and says, hey, it's okay for you to get divorced. God wants you to be happy. God wants you to be happy. And I know there's no biblical grounds for divorce, but hey, it's okay, even if you sin, God will forgive you. Which, by the way, I've heard a thousand times of people about to get a divorce. But if you listen to those words and you listen carefully, there's the roar of the enemy is all over that. There's a lot of, did God really say in that statement? There's there's a lot of um, outright lies about God's word in that statement. There's a lot of things in there that is contrary to God's word that sounds really good to the flesh in that statement. And so you hear that and you go, man, I know I'm not happy. I'm in a tough marriage, but my goodness, that sounds like the roar of the enemy. So what do I do? Here's what you do. You hold up the shield of faith. You hold up the shield of faith. That sounds like the word of the enemy. That sounds like the attack of the enemy. He wants to take me out. I'm gonna hold up the shield of faith and you say, Satan, God's word said that marriage is a picture of the unbreakable bond between Jesus and his bride, the church. And therefore, marriage is not primarily for my happiness, but it is a display of the gospel of Jesus Christ and I am going to believe what God says about marriage, not you, even if it's difficult. Shield of faith. And then you pull out the sword. Then you pull out the sword and say, Satan, by the way, and if you want to actually call his name, I'm cool with that. Let's get charismatic. Satan, because that's what Jesus did. He goes, Satan, do you remember what God's word says about the garbage you're giving me right now? This is what God's word says. God's word says, Satan, that although God will forgive me of my sin, yeah, that's true, that's a distortion because God's word also says that may I continue in sin so the grace of God may continue and abound. May it never be. 
God's word says, Satan, that what God has joined together, I do not break apart. You hold up the shield of faith. You believe his word. You pull out the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. The scripture says you submit yourself to God, you resist him, and he has no choice but to flee from you. I'll give you one more example. You decide you want to truly live your life for God and, and, and it's kind of hit you that you've tried everything else in this world and none of it satisfies. One of the things the preacher said this week, quote of C.S. Lewis, he said, one of the reasons that you might find that nothing in this world satisfies is because you were not created for this world. There is another world to which you were created for. That's why nothing in this world will ever fill that hole in your heart. And you come to that realization and you're like, man, I'm going to live for the Lord. But then you hear the voice of the enemy saying, oh, you want to follow God. Oh, you really want to worship God. You want to give your life to God. Do you remember that night a few years ago? Do you remember that thing you did in that relationship? Do you remember that desire that you keep having? Do you remember that abortion that you had? Do you remember that addiction that you had? Do you remember that thing you said? Do you remember that thing that you did? Do you remember the thing that you looked at? You're not qualified. And you hear that, and you're like, man, that sure sounds like the roar of the enemy to me, and I'm this close to giving up, and this close to quitting, but that sounds like an enemy that's trying to take me out and keep me from giving the worship to God that he deserves. And so you pull out the sword, or rather the shield of faith, and you say, Satan, today I'm not going to believe what you say about me. I'm going to believe what God says about me. And then you pull out the sword sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. And you say, Satan, I want to remind you of what God says, that neither height nor depth, nor angels, nor demons, nor life, nor death, nor any other created thing can separate me from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. And oh, by the way, Satan, I want to remind you that the word of God says that God has taken my sin and he's cast it as far as the east and from the west. And so when God sees me, he doesn't see my sin anymore. He sees a blood-bought son or daughter of the king. And one last thing, Satan, let me remind you of this, that who will save me from this body of sin and death? Thanks be to God, for there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And so you've, you've resisted him. You've recognized the voice, the roar. You've held up the shield of faith. You believed what God's word said. You pulled out the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God You've reminded Satan, the scripture says, that he has to flee. And so if you're here today, maybe you've never thought about this. That's totally okay. Again, we don't talk about this a lot. But maybe you realize today that some of these things I'm going through might actually be my enemy attacking me. What are, maybe, maybe you're believing some lie. And it's spiraling you down and away from God. Maybe, maybe you keep hearing these accusations and it's keeping you from going all in with the Lord. Or maybe there's these temptations that keep confronting you that are contrary to God's perfect plan for your life. Maybe there's fear in your life or anxiety in your life or anger or apathy and it's crippling you and pushing you away from your walk with Christ. I want you to hear something. There is a really solid chance that that is Satan. 
your very real enemy and he is active in your life trying to take you out. And so here's what you do. You fight back. You're like, man, I think that's me. I think I'm, gonna, I'm getting attacked. You fight back. You fight back. Maybe you've never thought about that, but you have been declared war against. He has declared war on you. Maybe it's time for the first time in your life that you declare war on him. Don't stand there and take it. God has given you a shield. God has given you a sword. And by the way, you have inside of you the one who was lied to in every way, who was accused in every way, who um, was attacked in every way and yet clung in faith to his father and walked in obedience to the point of death on a cross and rose victorious from a grave in every single solitary way he lives inside of you. And greater is he that lives in you than lives in this world. And I was, um, I told you guys a couple weeks, I'm done here, but I, I told you guys a few weeks ago that the month of December and January was like the hardest stretch of about 45 days in my entire life. Got diagnosed with um, skin cancer, had a really good friend of mine be accused of some crazy stuff, which was horrible. Um, and then I shared that with you. And then right after I shared that with you a couple weeks ago, a couple days later, one of my really good friends, somebody that I've been friends with for about 12 years, died suddenly. And, and so it was just boom, 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 boom. And I, um, I'm one of these guys that I just have a tendency, you know, that's life. That's, that's just, we're living a fallen world. And, and this week I've, I've kind of realized that and a lot of this stuff I, I think is probably an attack of the enemy. I need to fight back. And I told you guys a couple weeks ago that one of the things I did is I made a song list of of songs that I used to listen to back when I first started following Jesus, when I first kind of fell in love with Jesus. And y'all know what I'm talking about? When you really first start following him, you're just in that first love phase and there's a sweetness about that and then just the worries of life and all this stuff kind of comes in and you kind of feel yourself floating away from God. I'm like, I am hanging on by a thread here. I'm this close to just walking away from all this. I'm so tired of the fight. And so I came back, I was like, no, I'm gonna remember what it was like when all I wanted was Jesus. So I came up with this playlist of songs I used to listen to. And I told you about one, I'm gonna tell you one last, and I'll never use this illustration again. But it was a song by the Imperials. If you wanna look it up, don't email me. It's by the Imperials, it's called Praise the Lord. And it was like one of the five songs that I listened to. And I had not heard it in forever and I was just driving down the road, just crying, listening to the song, hear the lyrics. It says, now Satan is a liar, and he wants to make us think that we're paupers when he knows himself we're children of the king. And so lift up the mighty shield of faith because the battle must be won. But we know that Jesus Christ is risen, and so the work is already done. So praise the Lord. Maybe it's time. Yeah, you can clap for that. Amen for that. Maybe it's time that we start living in the victory and the power that was promised us through the cross and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So let's stand together and let's pray together. Stand up. Let's pray together. And then we're going to praise him. Let's pray.
Father, if there's any in this room that don't know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, I pray that today they would trust in him. Give their life to you, Lord, and be saved and be forgiven of their sin. If there are any in this room that are under attack, and maybe today they realize it for the very first time, they're like, oh, that's not coincidence. That's a very real enemy that's trying to devour me, destroy me. Lord, I pray they would recognize his roar, that they would stand firm in their faith today, and that they would believe you today. And God, if there is still doubt in them, then Lord, I pray they would fall upon you and say, Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. And you would give them the strength they need to endure so that the enemy would flee from them, God. They'd be victorious. Lord, help us to remember that we are standing in the victory today of the cross, that we do not fight today for our victory, but we fight today from our victory that's already been won for us. And let us worship God in light of that today. And pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.